0: and welcome back to Trash and Treasury, the podcast where we're informative, but with a side of garbage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty apt description. And so for our informative segment of today's episode, we're going to be talking about contraceptives, so mm. reproductive healthcare is a really important human right, and we do have access to a lot of great uh, contraceptives, although we will argue men could probably have access to a few more contraceptives. Mm. But we're also going to talk about what did it used to be like hundreds and even thousands of years ago. What are some of the wacky ways people used to stop themselves from getting pregnant?
0: I've always wondered that when watching TV shows about the olden days, always want to know what they used to do. (laughs) Well, I have looked it up, so I'll tell you all about it. Very exciting. And then for our trash today, we are talking about a topic that I'm very excited about, dance reality TV shows. And this is a topic that I have a lot of feelings about and I love very much. So (laughs) I really can't wait to get to that.
1: It's kind of the equivalent of uh, Hamilton and Taylor. You've been petitioning for a long time (laughs) that you really wanted to talk about this. So I've let you go wild. And look, I'm excited to hear what there's been all the fuss about for the last maybe 15 years of your life.
0: That's right. And all those times that I've forced you into watching dance clips that you didn't want to, it's, um, it's all <laughs> going to bring it back home for you, babe. <laughs> but before we get to that, let's start with contraception.
1: So contraception has been around for as long as sex has. So it's been around forever, that is to say, and it's a really important part of a society and it's something that, um, yeah, as I said in the intro to today's episode, it is a human right to have reproductive healthcare and it's funny that actually, like, people do think of these things as quite modern inventions, but in fact, actually reproductive contraception sort of things have been around for years and years but it's just that in some societies and times such as the dark ages people Mm. were more conservative and things were sort of taken away even things that used to be you know really common 2000 years ago and now you know we've got a lot more things available but before we go and talk about the things we have available in today's situation I wanted to just Learn a few things about the contraceptions of yesteryear. And yes. now do not try these at home because we will <laughs> speak at the end about some better modern options. But have you ever heard, Miranda, about any of the old no make baby little things they used to have?
0: I actually haven't heard a lot. The only thing I know, um, and I don't even know if I know it, um, is from The Great, the TV show where they were talking about using lemon wedges and things. And I've watched like um, a few historical dramas and I'm sort of like, oh, I don't what they used to do but it's always fascinated me because I'm like I mean obviously I know that people used to get pregnant a lot more so mm. obviously things didn't work very well and obviously you know abstinence didn't work very well either so um yeah
1: we've made a lot of scientific advancements
0: <laughs> that's it so I, but you know there were people who you know um, had sex for work and had to, uh, and they still are now, but, you know, they had to figure something out and they had to try all mm. these different things. Mm-hmm. So I literally don't have much knowledge of this and I'm so keen to find out. It's
1: really funny you mentioned lemon because lemon is one that I looked up as
0: well. So people
1: really? believed that... Uh, Citric acid in lemon had sort of spermicide qualities. Yes. And so that having lemon was like a useful thing to use a lemon wedge or to soak a sponge or a cotton in lemon juice and then insert it up there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so, yeah, the grate is quite historical in that regard. And a great fast fact about that is rumor has it that Casanova, the famous Venetian ladies' man of the 18th century, right. used to make a little diaphragm out of half a lemon. And it really? around and be like, "Don't worry, ladies, I've got this lemon. You can put up there over your cervix."
0: <laughs> so he would just take it around to his ladies and like just yeah. be prepared. Hopefully, kind of, like, a new lemon each a time. It's
1: not COVID-safe to share those. <laughs> that I feel is like disgusting. It would sting. That's what I was I think thinking. The pH that... is not quite right. Oh, wouldn't that? No. wouldn't that really
0: hurt? Ooh, yeah. I don't even want to think about that.
1: It's not as bad as this next one, though. So oh, the God. oldest form of contraception on record comes from the medical records of, now this is in capital letters, like it's actually the name of this, the Egyptian <sighs> Kahun Gynological Papyrus.
0: What? So
1: it's basically <laughs> a 4,000 year scroll of Gynological stuff. Um because like I said in the intro, like actually, you know, societies 4,000 years ago were actually more open and liberated about sex and gynecology. And so they had this big scroll where they documented women using crocodile dung and honey and shoving that up there as birth control. What? Which is really gross. The hell? And apparently the reason you have to combine the honey with the dung was because honey was antibacterial. So obviously putting like dung up there is very bad. And they were like, honey, we'll make it fine. And again, we say on this podcast Ew. that we're not doctors and this is not medical <laughs> advice, but we'll just double on saying do not follow any of these old, um, <laughs> yeah, they're not good ideas.
0: Um. Okay. What? Okay. I want to know <laughs> who suggests that in the first place. Who put that on the scroll? Who put that on the gynecological (laughs) scroll? You know, who said crocodile dung? I mean, crocodiles eat other animals as well. So gross. Like, it's not even a herbivore. Like, and it's poo Mm. putting it up in a really sensitive area. Surely people would get, like, infections and...
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think... If this did work, the only reason it would have worked is because you would have smelt so gross people would have just stayed like ten meters away from you. So That's
0: right.
1: That would be the only <laughs> contraceptive benefit of that.
0: Who honestly could have thought of that and thought, hmm, crocodile dung, I know. I know what we'll do.
1: <laughs> Let's try and use shove this Shove it as, right up there with some. Shove honey. it right up there, yeah. But there's another one that actually wow. sounds really awesome. <laughs> okay. Called the Sylphium plant. And it's from 2nd century BC. The ancient Greeks swore by this plant for birth control oh. and it was also an aphrodisiac. Right. But basically it was so awesome that everyone wanted it and used it and that plant has gone completely extinct.
0: Oh. <laughs> mm. So how does it work? Sorry, so you eat it and it...
1: Yeah. It was, um, it was the seed of a plant, so... It was very valuable because of its, yeah, birth control and aphrodisiac um, abilities. People tried to plant it in other lands and it would never grow. The only place it could grow was one particular hillside area in what's now Libya, but they've never been able to revive it. And it just, yeah, sounds like they were having such a good time in second century BC.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. I wonder if the like statistics reflect that as well. But it's so weird that it's um, you know, grown in such a specific area that they can't, they couldn't grow it again. How sad.
1: Maybe that's what we need to be dedicating science to instead of space exploration. That's true. <laughs> Bring back the syphilium plant. <laughs>
0: That's so sad that it completely went extinct. At least you can't say they didn't try. They didn't give it a red hot you know they gave it a red hot yeah, crack. A red hot go.:
1: But that one, you know, seemed pretty cool. That's one that cool. does not seem cool and seems really gross, and I'm really sorry for anyone alive in the 1600s. Yeah. But do you know like condoms back in the day?
0: Uh, yeah, Super lamb disgusting.
1: skin.: Yeah, like Ew. bladders and intestines. that is so disgusting. So speaking of things that definitely don't work, I have these two final ones. So one is that you could wear an amulet or a good luck charm, (laughs) which was made of a bone taken from the right side of an all-black cat strapped to your thigh. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack in that sentence. Um, (laughs) No! So I think that's just a very strange superstitious one from like particular period of time it's
0: also just so cruel why do you have to kill a cat to get the bone to get your contraception to strap it to your and also
1: they're killing twice as many cats because they only want it from the right side exactly yeah it's
0: very sad that is got to take the cake for the dumbest thing i've ever heard but well
1: this one might challenge it as well it's less cruel but this one is also not going to (laughs) work so this is um another ancient greek physician dioscocrates who recommended wearing a necklace made of an asparagus stalk? <laughs> Which, look,
0: sure. At least sure. No cats were harmed. Yeah. No cats were harmed in the making of this necklace. Asparagus stalk. <laughs> yeah. <necklace. laughs> really. Oh my God. But what about
1: um, some examples that actually
0: work? Oh, God. They're just not as hilarious as that. But um, my God, we've come a long way. But I think it's
1: important for our journalistic integrity just to make
0: sure <laughs> it's true. people don't think
1: we're, you know, we have to give a balanced. Uh, a balanced podcast. Yeah.
0: Yes. The most common form of contraception in Australia is the pill. And uh, a lot of people are quite happy with the pill. Um, There's lots of variations of the pill, estrogen and progesterone-based kinds of ones. Um, A lot of the statistics, this is one that I just – it's basically a hill that I'd like to die on at some point. But um, Mm -hmm. um, that people who report they get pregnant on the pill are not taking the pill correctly, like – 99% of the time and a lot of the reason is because the pill is effective but you have to take it every day it's the most it's the most effective if you take it straight away but you do have some leeway if you forget a couple of hours the mini pill you don't have any leeway you have to take it like on time otherwise it dramatically reduces the effectiveness yep Um, and if you have any vomiting or diarrhea you literally don't have time to absorb that pill, which means that you then null and void your next seven days basically because if you've missed a day, um, you've got to wait another seven days before you have sex again.
1: Well, I guess that's why a lot of people are turning to ones that you don't have to take a pill um, because for avoiding that reason, yeah. That's
0: correct. And um, interestingly, uh, in America – Um, So the IUD, the intrauterine devices, kind of like an implanon, uh, which is a chemical that sits in your arm, but it's a different type of one that sits in your uh, cervix, uh, in your Mm -hmm. uterus. And um, basically in America, this is the most uh, common form of contraception and basically second only to condoms, I think. Um, But they... Hmm.
1: I'm very shocked by that.
0: They really, really, really advocate for intrauterine devices. Um, I actually think personally that Teen Mom, Teen Mom, sorry. um, Is really (laughs) helping market them. uh, Well, there was quite a lot of talk about them in the show. And it really brought it into the mainstream that this is something that you don't need to remember um, it doesn't matter what kind of, you know, night you have or if you have an illness, you don't need to remember to take yeah. a pill. Like it's just so consistent in your body. And um, there is a, you know, huge, uh, still a huge rate of uh, underage births in America. So they a lot yeah. of the sexual health clinics and everything really do try and advocate for the best and most effective method of contraception. And the IUDs, according to all medical experts, basically now – Uh, is considered the gold standard of contraception.
1: Yeah, IEDs are awesome. They're amazing. Before we move on, though, I want to talk about the statistic you said about, because I was shocked by that statistic, that it's the most common contraception used in America, because
0: I think if you
1: broke down that statistic, the true most common contraception would be none, because they don't have adequate sex education, <laughs> the pull out, <laughs> pull out method, pull out method abstinence slash not abstinence, yeah. But then of those Flush. people that do engage in procuring a contraceptive device, it's interesting that they're not using the pill and that they're using. Very YID. interesting. But as as you said, they're great. So
0: it's actually quite cultural. It's interesting because Australians really, really. Uh, The pills the go to, you know, if if somebody goes to the doctor and um, you're a young person looking for your first sort of uh, more stable method of uh, contraception, obviously, Mm. you know, if you're having sex with a non-partner, you know, always use a condom, no matter what you've got, um, what kind of contraception you're using to not get pregnant. But the pill seems to be just what doctors will sign you up for. They'll give it to you straight away. Same thing happened to me. You know, that's what I was given.
1: And I think that's okay because, you know, other things, it is a bit more it's pretty full on to have something up in your uterus. It so is know, absolutely you might start with something
0: something easy. Look, it's pretty easy. I think that's the thing about the pill. It is very easy. And then if you want to think about, you know, something else that you can do later, you know, the IUD is such a great option. And um for a lot of people it means you stop getting your period. And mm, like mm-hmm. let's just let's just stop and think about that for just a moment as women who you know once a month you have this week that it can be horrific or you can just be in a lot of pain or cramping and to not have to have that it's amazing it's actually just so amazing to not have to worry about your period all the time I honestly feel like I have it's, more yeah. energy since I got my IUD as well because you're not you know you're not you're not shedding your lining once a month
1: <laughs> and I think that you make a good point that it's not the only reason that you might want to explore contraceptives is to stop making a baby. It also can be to help manage whatever menstrual issues. And that is the reason why a lot of people go on the pill or the IUD.
0: Yeah. A lot of people don't necessarily stop their period completely. They, um, but will almost certainly have a lighter period. Um, but this is with the hormonal based IUD and there are two types. So there's another one that's called the copper IUD and mm. um This is, it really pisses me off actually that people call it the natural one because Mm. there is absolutely nothing natural about shoving a piece of copper into your cervix. There is absolutely nothing natural about that. But there's also, you know, not a lot natural about not getting pregnant. So if you want to make that decision, you know, pick the one that's best for you and your body and don't necessarily be freaked out by the fact that there's hormones in it. There's hormones in the pill. There's actually less hormones in an IUD in the dose that you get every day than there is in a pill, in a regular pill um and it's yeah it's really interesting but the cop Mm. the copper one doesn't slow down your period or anything like that in fact most people report their periods get heavier stronger. but Mm. but it's still an effective contraceptive in that regard like it's still a fairly effective contraceptive but actually the fact um this is what i was told by my doctor so i'm not a medical expert but um you know my doctor was saying that because it's in your uterus it's actually um, you're able to have a lower dosage because it's mm-hmm. lo- it's localized. It doesn't have to get around the whole body. It doesn't have to get around your whole body. Um, it's, people don't report like a humongous amount of side effects. Although I do have friends who have not had a good experience on the IUD, so it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And your your method of contraception is totally individual. Like it's just everyone has their own thing. I have a friend who can't use pretty much anything other than condoms just because it is just she's too reactive too reactive Mm. to every form of contraception available to her.
1: I think it's interesting you bring up the sort of, you know, risks associated particularly previously. And, yeah, there are risks with, you know, anything. And there has even been um, a lot of risks for particular brands of the pill in relation to blood clotting. Yes, as well as always being, yeah, risks associated with any um, procedure that yeah are worth talking to your doctor about. But what I think's interesting in terms of the risks is that has been the main reason why there isn't a male pill. It's just that our medical standards of testing are much more stringent now than they were in the sixties when mm-hmm. the traditional pill was developed, and the sort of side effects. A lot of people are arguing um, that the side effects reported in male pill trials, are just the same side effects women get for the pill. Mm. But they're just not tolerated anymore the same way they used to be. Like, moodiness from hormone imbalances. And women are like, yeah, we just have that.
0: Yeah. Like, that's just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's so interesting because they're, you know, it is definitely a thing where men are like, oh no, but I, I actually spoke to a guy, I remember, um, I won't name many names, but they, we were sort of talking about, um, you know, the fact that we didn't know about the trial at the time, but the vas- vasectomies can be reversed, you know, in a lot of cases. Mm. So, you know, mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a safer procedure than one would think. Um, you could also freeze your sperm if you wanted to, and you could also have it then just have a vasectomy or something like that. You know, there are lots of, there were still it's options. It's very
1: hard to get a vasectomy. I will say, um, doctors are very reluctant to perform a vasectomy. One
0: ah, okay. Well, look, this was just a theoretical conversation anyway, cause I wasn't actually expecting, um, you know, <laughs> this person to actually get a vasectomy, but it's interesting the conversation. And he was sort of saying, oh No. I would not risk not being able to have children like it's too important and I said but mm. women well,
1: that's a risk with the IED it's a, a of, risk it's a risk with a lot of
0: it's a risk with yeah. a lot of contraceptives but it's actually an extremely low risk um so I just want to flag that too but um you know that's a risk that we're taking so that you know you know we can all mm. have a good time but um you know why should they not have to take the risk? I think a lot of people. Um, I don't like this reaction either, and I'm finding in uh, a lot of sort of hetero normal normative situations. But um, you know, women will say, "I wouldn't trust a guy." Yes, to take I it. I was just
1: about to bring that up. I think that's so problematic. I think that's
0: extremely problematic, and also, um, you know, usually if you're in a relationship with somebody, um, sure. But also if you're if you're just met someone. And you're having like a one night stand or they're a new person to you, you should always be using a condom regardless, you know, because you don't know where that person's been. It's, it's, you know, you don't want to get an STI, but at the same time, you know, if you're in a partnership, you both have to trust each other with your decisions. And if that means that, you know, someone could take the pressure off, um, you know, women for a change, like, why shouldn't we be able to trust our male partners
1: like for your friend who can't take anything hormonal, what a difference that would make if she could affect us to someone else Absolutely. It
0: would make such a humongous difference, you know, absolute humongous difference. So I think the conversation needs to be changed that we can trust men. Actually, men are responsible, they can be responsible and they can step up. It's, and if they can get the opportunity to do it, um, it would be so great to share that mental load, Grace, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> wouldn't it just... And I guess to finish up, I just want to say this has been a really interesting sort of ride through contraceptions new and old, but as we've said, we're not doctors, but there's a great uh, resource you can access that the Victorian government's recently released. So it's Ooh. a hotline and also a website. It's called 1-800-MY-OPTIONS, and you can speak to people about all the types of contraception as well as pregnancy options and other sexual health options. And they also have interpreters available so that you can get that info in the language that you need.
0: Oh, that's so cool. What an awesome website.
1: Yeah, very awesome. So check that out. And remember, don't stuff any crocodile
0: dung up there, okay? (laughs) Like, let's just all make a pact. No one's going to do that ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Family stays in the past.
1: All right. Let's go talk about trash.
0: So, as you know, we've done a few of Grace's favourite topics lately, being Hamilton and Taylor, but... Today, she's let me talk about one of my favorite topics, which is dance. And specifically, we're talking about the very niche genre of dance reality te- television shows, which has surprisingly expanded now. But uh, it all started with So You Think You Can Dance. Um, it's been around for many, many years. And now we've got, you know, Dancing with the Stars, we've got uh, World of Dance, we've got. Uh, Dance Moms, (laughs) you know, there's just, there's an endless supply of dance shows and they're all fantastic, Um, but some trashier than others. So (laughs) we thought we'd just uh, start at the bottom of the barrel and work our way up. Um, And that, of course, means Dance Moms. (laughs) (laughs) So, Grace, have you seen much of Dance Moms?
1: Look, I do remember watching it when it came out at the time because... I do have, like, a secret penchant for reality TV, and then you're obsessed with dance, so I feel like reality dance TV could
0: be where our interests could intersect. It's true, and um, you're not really somebody who does much dance in real life either. Um, No. Well, until recently. (laughs) (laughs) Until recently, when, of course, Hamilton and dance come together in one beautiful moment where we do an online class together to the Hamilton theme songs.
1: (laughs) It was amazing. So I went along to a jazz class with Miranda where we did Room Where It Happens, which was a hard workout and fun. And Burn, we did Burn. We did burn and look, the best thing about doing burn was <laughs> you'd message me and you're like, this class is on, you know, it's not going to be jazz this time. And yeah. so I messaged you and I was like, what kind of footwear does one wear for a liturgical dancing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and- I was like, what's liturgical dance? I've never heard of this before.
1: (laughs) And I have heard of it. It's definitely a thing, but it's not the right thing. And I Googled it and it's like, it means religious dancing, like waving scarves around. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> quite religious and, like, really random sort of <laughs> movement and stuff. Anyway, Which I was like, I don't
1: know what you're into, Miranda.
0: That's true. I didn't question it. I was up for it. I just wanted to know, do I wear shoes or not?
1: <laughs> There's no judgment.
0: It's definitely the best part about it. It was lyrical for those following along, um, and uh, that made a lot more sense eventually because Grace was like, oh, yeah, the lyrics, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Lyrical, right. <laughs> lyrical um but liturgical dance I just love that you were up up for it even though that sounds uh kind of bizarre to me
1: (laughs) yeah look it was fun um, but no dance is not really one of my key hobbies or interests yeah and I guess the same way as last week we talked about how selling sunset is actually nothing to do with the houses it's all about the drama I think the same thing can be said for dance moms where <laughs> it's that's true. just a, a lot of yelling
0: oh my god from the
1: teacher to the kids from the mums to the teacher from the mums to each other from the teacher to each other like oh it
0: is just it's a nightmare it's just all yelling all the time. It it's really is. Pretty Should crazy. be called Yelling Mums. Yeah, it should just be called Yelling Mums. And there's – it's definitely interesting because there's an array of um, characters on the show. For anyone who hasn't seen it, um, Abby Miller is the teacher and she is um, – A very, very sort of um, dominating personality and she can be very scary and she sort of teaches with fear. You know, very kind of old school mentality of teaching young dancers. And these girls, when they first started filming this show, they're teeny tiny. They're like... Yeah, they were like nine... Yeah, and little Mackenzie and uh, Maddie Ziegler has come out of that show um, really famous, and so is doing pretty well herself as well. Um, Yeah, Maddie
1: was in Sia's film clip for Chandelier.
0: Yes, she's in all of Sia's film clips actually, I think.
1: Oh, that must have been when it started. Yeah, she's kind of like Sia's mini-me character. She is, yeah. Seeing as Sia Sia doesn't show her face.
0: It's so weird to see Maddie all grown up now, but um, these girls were treated... So awfully. And the mothers basically watch their daughters go to dance class, every single dance class, and they sit behind this glass booth where they watch Abby teach the kids and watch her yell and scream at them and put them down and everything. And And they'll yell it and be like, don't talk to my daughter that way. I'm taking her out of this class. Exactly. Which would just be the the sensible thing to do and the show
1: would be over. But for some reason, they all keep coming back. It's like this weird toxic thing where they all like hate Abby, but love Abby and...
0: It's very, know. yeah, very odd and toxic. And then Abby sometimes, you know, they'll go out for dinner and she'll be excited to go on a date or something and they'll all be like, oh, how fun and da 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 But then they'll like go and make fun of Abby or, um, you know, it's just this really bizarre thing, but they're all and really Abby close. And Abby
1: makes fun of them too. So one of them got like engaged to a rich man and then Abby made all the girls do a dance to Gold Tigger.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> That Uh. was brilliant. I love, I I do love Abby a little bit. Um, She did end up in jail at one point. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. What what happened? It was fraud or something like that. And I'm pretty sure she ended up in prison um, for a period of time. But, yeah, she got in big trouble. But, anyway, she's a really controversial character. Sometimes she's like I teach through fear and everything, but she does love these girls and she adores them. But then sometimes she can put people down so terribly. Um, And the rivalries with the other dance schools and stuff, like it is really Mm. silly. But in real life... They pit the
1: little girls (laughs) against each other as well like it is it's just so bad
0: but in real life the dance world is tough as well I mean come a long way I haven't had the tiger dance person dance teacher experience but I've definitely had a range of dance experiences and a lot of my friends have had that tiger experience so Mm. it's and you know and the competition experience is very very different and also in America so I mean are the coaches
1: like that on so thing
0: you can dance just yell at people till they cry absolutely not absolutely not so different it's very inspirational oh (laughs) gosh, we'll get to but we're we're down at the bottom of the barrel right now grace (laughs) don't move up too quickly Um, so it's, it's very old school mentality. It's very harsh. These kids are crushed. I mean, it's, it's bordering on, you know, it's very questionable. Sometimes it's like, a, this is a reality show, but, um, these are your little kids and all they care about is Abby's approval. And Aww. what she does is this horrible thing where, um, every day that they come to dance class, depending on how good they have been in class and how they performed at their competition depends on who's on top of the pyramid. And she literally- A physical r- pyramid. A physical pyramid. And she starts Aww. at the bottom. And she works her way up with photos and reveals who's at the bottom because they did the shittest job that week or they came last. And the person who's on top is usually Maddie and then Maddie's kind of hated for being the favourite. Yeah, Um,
1: because the Sia stuff actually happened while she was still really young. So that was kind of like a storyline as well, that they were also jealous of her and stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. But actually all the kids love each other. That's the sweetest part about it.
1: Some of the other mums though have like literally Karen. The Karen meme is actually literally a photo of one of these dance mums. The <laughs> can I speak to the manager haircut that's actually from dance mums.
0: Oh my god it is too yeah. Yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all Karens.
1: Yeah like as I said I watched it years ago and I didn't really have the stomach to really go back into watching many episodes of it in preparation for this so instead I listened to a quick podcast about dance mums. Right. Which was like the best podcast I've ever listen to Uh, I think unintentionally the best Um, amazing it was just so hilarious it was like this 12 year old girl's stream of consciousness sort of describing her bedroom and her family and talking about dance moms and the dog interrupted and her dad interrupted and she's talking about her Pinterest account and she's talking about this and that Like, it was so good. Um, I didn't really get much facts about Dance Mums worth sharing, but I did highly um, enjoy this podcast, which sadly she stopped making podcasts because she said she's got to go back to school and she's got her second (laughs) Pinterest account to run.
0: I love that it's like it's like a really professional podcast host being like all right look we're coming to the end of our show um we're pursuing other interests you know we've got you know three jobs and she's like look I've got another Pinterest account to run um so it was fun while it lasted (laughs) and it was
1: it definitely was but I think that's enough for dance mums I
0: yeah let's let's creep out of the bottom of that barrel so a much nicer show. So you think you can dance? Um, it started years ago, actually. There's been 16 US seasons, and there's also. Oh, it's like Grey's Anatomy rivalry. It's like Grey's Anatomy, yeah, very much so. It came out around the same time. It was very formative, and um, in my high school years, and um, there's been Australian versions, US version, uh, US versions, Canadian versions. It's it's worldwide really, and it's just mm. made such an impact. But I have to say, American dancers compared to the rest of the world they just shit on everyone um they shit on everyone yes they are so talented I mean I know they have a wide pool to select from but they are so amazingly talented it's ridiculous like it's it's insane and um the level of technique and excellence that they bring to the show it's really incredible
1: why do you think that is? Is it because they have a different culture where we're basically saying with dance moms, for example, like that's so mean, just let kids have fun on the weekend, whereas they're like, they're, you know, excelling is the most important thing.
0: Yes, and I think they've also got um – a really entrenched culture of dance um, through the generations as well. They've also got lots of different forms of dance, lots of hip hop and sort of um, all these new styles of hip hop, you know, from the streets and, um, you know, they're really, it's really kind of amazing. And I think that the technique and how they train over there is just so, they've got so much opportunity and they've got so many amazing choreographers. They've also got so many production companies. They've also got lots of, you um, know, Uh, Broadway performances that they can go in. You know, it's just, it's really quite huge, the dance world in Mm. America. It's really the place to be. Like a lot of Australians I know who've um, succeeded in the dance world have moved to LA, you know, or New York. It's basically just where it's at is in America. Um, And so a couple of the, so the main host is Nigel Lithgow, who's this old guy, um, and he's the show creator as well. And he uh, used to be a ballroom dancer, tap dancer and he he's just kind of like this British um, guy who loves dance and it's kind of really funny when he tries to critique hip-hop and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then there's like this other lady called Mary Murphy who is basically just known for screaming um, and like going and like putting people on the hot tamale train and stuff so it's very (laughs) American in that regard. And then there's basically just guest judges after that, um, which one, Grace, you will love. Debbie Mm -hmm. Ellen is actually a dancer. Uh, She's got her own company. I think it's called Debbie Ellen Theatre or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she might also be known to you as Catherine Avery. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yes, the famous uh, urologist on Grey's Anatomy. That's it, the famous urologist. <laughs> she is so beautiful. She's such an amazing dancer, and um, like that's her primary career. Acting was second. What? Yeah, what? yeah. How acting are people are not talking
1: about that, and why has Shonda Rhimes not done some sort of dance opportunity for it's her? It's ridiculous. As
0: a but she also featured on Dance Mums. at d- one time when they were they were. Um, really pissed off at Abby, they all went and sought sanctuary with Debbie Allen at her studio where she um, inspires people because, of course, she does. And, um, yeah, she's a really great guest judge when she comes on. Also, Maddie Ziegler from Dance Mums was also a judge on So You Think You Can Dance for a a season of um, The Next Generation, which was a kid's version of So You Think You Can Dance. Um, (laughs) It was really cute. Um, So – but essentially the show is – it's so much more than just a competition show. I think what makes it different from everything else is mm. just the am- amount of talent that comes out of this show. Um so the choreographers, it sort of puts so many of these choreographers on the map as well for just being excellent and creating amazing mm. dance pieces. And it's this it's this amazing avenue to actually show choreography and cool edgy artistic ways of putting things together it was very groundbreaking at the time Uh, the first sort of four seasons five seasons were the most popular and the most cutting edge and because there wasn't much else around like it Mm. there was there was a choreographer called Mia Michaels who really pushed the boundaries of contemporary and so there were some really iconic uh, dances that she did Um, And she's won Emmy Awards, all of them, almost all of the choreographers have won Emmy Awards, to be honest, for choreography. Um, And there's also another really popular one on the show was Mandy Moore, um, who uh, was specialized in jazz. Who is not the Mandy Moore, the singer, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) So Mandy Moore had an iconic routine called body language um, to Queen, uh, which involves suspenders. And it was just so cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I highly encourage everyone to go and watch Body Language by her. It was fantastic. Um, and there's another choreographer called Wade Robson who was mm. very, very uh, featured heavily on the show um, and did really cutting-edge routines. And people spoke about this in the, in in real life. People were just so inspired by his routines and his style and his wackiness. He is actually – he was a – uh, involved with Michael Jackson, Wade Robson. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I know Wade Robson because as I've talked about before, I've like watched quite a few sort of of these documentaries about survivors, and there's one called Leaving Neverland. Yes, about Michael Jackson, and it goes it is just about two survivors for a whole documentary, and one of them is Wade. So yeah, yeah. I actually know a lot about him. Uh, yeah, he's.
0: I had no idea when I was watching it because to me, he was just the wacky choreographer. I had no idea about his history with Michael Jackson. It kind of explains a lot though in his in his approach to dance and his, um, his style. Um, he, you know, clearly very influenced uh, by that style. And he did this uh, really, really memorable routine called Cabaret Hoover um, to the soundtrack of The Triplets of Belleville, which is sort of um, a routine... Uh, about two vagabonds basically and it's sort of this cabaret French influence routine and it involved scrunching newspaper and it was just really weird mm. and there was just nothing else like it around at the time. I think going back and watching these routines now, I've seen a lot of things since these, these routines were put on mainstream television mm. But these were iconic. These were huge and groundbreaking at the time. Like it just, it really transformed the accessibility in the mainstream world of dance. He also did a routine which was a series of solos uh, called Waiting for the World to Change, Waiting on the World to Change by John Mayer.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And it was about protesting war. Which, interesting for American television, right? And so mm. he created a solo piece that went for about a minute and it involved a giant guttural scream from Whoa. the dancers. Yep, during the routine. And it was just so beautifully done. And every single dancer on the show who got to the top 10 or the top 20 all of them did the same solo. So it was really cool to see. Really? That every. cool. It
1: was Different very, very dancers cool. dancers
0: interpret the same
1: choreography as
0: well. Yes, and they were given a little bit of uh, ability to change it a little bit, but it was so cool to watch every dancer do it differently. And it was really powerful. Like I got shivers re-watching it today to remind mm. myself. And um, actually at the time when it was on, the next day, uh, Nigel Lithgow actually had to apologise Um to america um at the end of the show Mm, yes he was like we don't want to insult anyone and by the way this was was a long time ago um but he was basically like we're not you know in no way disrespecting the troops disrespect the troops in afghanistan and like it was just really really awkward like really 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 awkward and um sounds like the chick's Formerly known as the Dixie like chicks. the chicks, <laughs> but um, it was really powerful and everyone. It was really really divisive because a lot of people were like, "Hang on a sec, we don't like this." You know, we like watching people dance who are you know, <laughs> it's just apolitical. Yeah. You know, little storylines. Yeah. So that was pretty that was pretty interesting turning point in that show as well, and it just really inspired a lot of other dancers. Also a few artists that were around at the time like uh, Imogen Heap and Roisin Murphy, these sort of uh, – Yes. Yeah. So You Think You Can Dance brought these this music to life through mm. dance and popularised it. Like I remember this was actually around the same time as the finale of the OC when um, mm, Mar- Marissa's – Marissa's, yeah, coming out in the yeah. Hallelujah. And I was obsessed with Imogen Heap because of So You Think You Can Dance um the show has created from the contestants some really really memorable pieces of work and also some really memorable people uh one of the <laughs> biggest breakout stars is Twitch and mm, rings a bell his real his name in real life is Stephen Boss um but he was <laughs> he's been in things like uh so since the show he's been in magic Mike. Uh, oh, he's, as yes. a stripper? Yep, as a stripper. He's one of the five or whatever I think. He's oh. in Step Up. He's in Hairspray. Like he's got multiple acting gigs. He's just so cool. He That's actually the new Channing Tatum. Oh yeah, well yeah. He's just he's absolutely gorgeous, and he's got this beautiful smile. And uh, he's they come back for All Star shows all the time as well. Um, all these actors um, and these dancers. Travis Wall who was an ex-contestant. He didn't even win, actually. Neither did Twitch, um, but just really popular people. Travis Wool has gone on to become an amazing choreographer and create extremely amazing works of art on So You Think You Can Dance and on stage. And so it's really cool to see, to have watched this show for so long, to watch him be a contestant, to then grow up and be this, brilliant choreographer like the work that he creates it wins it wins awards all the time like just because he's just so good and he's so talented and you're it, like I knew him back when
1: he was oh, just a little contestant when he was just a little contestant I made him through my we viewership made him, made
0: him exactly <laughs> and he would have been inspired by all of those choreographers that he worked with you know on the show when he was a contestant and also was a dancer growing up in LA he has an adopted brother called Danny Tidewell who was also on the show on a different season and Danny Tidewell was kind of like the most perfect dancer as in textbook technique. You know, he could do like 100 pirouettes and he would not wobble. You know, he was just really, really good at sort of basic technique and he had a complete centre of gravity. That's what he was known for. And actually, when I was researching for this podcast, I found out that he died in a car crash in March. Oh, no. That's Yeah, awful. horrible. So I don't know what, the, obviously, because of COVID, um, they haven't started filming a new season, but I, I, I've i got to think that they'll do some sort of tributes to him in the in next season because he was just, yeah, he was amazing and so young. Mm, that's awful. Uh, Neil Haskell, who never won any, uh, any of the... Uh, seasons he is now full-time job playing King George in Hamilton (laughs) oh amazing (laughs) yep yep so that's another um another popular one and Catherine McCormick uh so Catherine McCormick uh was in Step Up Revolutions or something like that like number two or three (laughs) I don't know yeah
1: that doesn't even sound like number two
0: look either way she's gone a long way and they come back for all-star seasons all the time and yeah.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a lot more talent than drama though, you know. So much more. Like professionals building their careers rather than just yelling at each other. So what a refreshing change.
0: Well, they don't focus on any bitchiness, but they do go over the top with backstories. So i.e., I broke my big toe when I was a child and all I've wanted to do is be a dancer and um, just I'm so lucky to be here and I want to thank God. But, um, you know... If it was a movie, it'd be like, but because
1: I broke my toe, it means when I do the triple left axle, I have the perfect like (laughs) outstep and this broken toe helped me win.
0: (laughs) So true. So they do that a bit. It's a little bit American in that regard, but... um, And as you discussed in a recent Hill, you're not here for the backstories. I'm certainly not here for the backstories. And look even though they focus on the backstories, it's not about bitchiness. And to be honest, they're so busy and they're so tired. I, they do not have time to bitch. <laughs> they would not have time. Mm. They literally, they get like three days to learn like five routines. They, they dan- have no time to be running a second Pinterest account. That's for sure. hundred percent. No, they, they like dance something like 16 hours a day every day that they're on that show. And they're not trying to find the, they're not trying to hide the fact that they want you know the contestants want exposure which is so refreshing like these are talented individuals they want to dance full-time and have it be their career like for many it has expanded their career and they go on it to say look I really want to break out I really think I'm a great dancer and it kind of is this platform to get them out there for people who haven't mm. had as many opportunities as maybe other people who've had a lot of connections or shoe-ins and it's really just epic it's, it's so not trash it's actually just brilliant and I've always loved it and so hopefully after hearing this people will listen to me and um, in my recommendation section I will be specific about what I want people to go watch
1: (laughs) (laughs) and look I think you're right like it can really make people's careers and I think at like the best version of reality tv is meant to be that it's merit yeah meritocratic and actually like you know Meant to be, you know, everyday people can go and become famous without the connections. Like, it's such a good point. You've like, tried to make me watch their videos a lot, you know, when yes. like um, you've been out for the night or something and you've come home with a group of friends and you're not quite ready for bed and you put on YouTube <laughs> and people are playing like their favorite scenes from crappy movies. Miranda will be like, guys, this 15 minute dance montage. No, you
0: don't get it. It's amazing. Keep watching. <laughs> don't look away stop talking don't go make a snack while it's on you missed the best bit yeah exactly (laughs) it's true you will love it (laughs) I'm so passionate about dance I just love it so much I love that you're passionate about it I just love it so much it's just so beautiful well I'm glad we
1: finally covered dance because yes it is something you're very passionate about I'm glad you've got to spread the good word and for our listeners you know you've got Plenty of routines that have been mentioned in great detail to go watch on YouTube now. (laughs) Um, But now I think it's time to find out what hills we're going to die on this week. So
0: this week, my hill to die on is Instagram. Instagram. And specifically, long-form Instagram posts. It's a no from me. Um, Oh! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They are the worst literally nobody cares it's so self-indulgent I can't stand it whether it's positive or negative long form Instagram posts need to go what do you mean by a long form post like a long form post it has multiple paragraphs Grace I don't care enough to read it and sometimes (laughs) they're like so long as well like but they can be different pages of them but sometimes I'll just go see more or whatever click down and it's like oh my god this is like I have to scroll through this you know, this is, there's so much to read. Like, I'm not going to read it. Do you not hate them? Well, I'm just thinking of my 1500 word Taylor
1: essay. You know, you don't have to read them. There's an audience for them, I'm sure. Okay.
0: Your Taylor post was hilarious. It's totally different. <laughs> and- <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally different. Obviously, that was hilarious and I read every word. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so do these you mean like your
1: friends captions or like an, celebrities oh, yeah. just like randoms
0: anybody anybody who's anybody. like doing a like revealing post as well. Like I just want to like express how many emotions I have and how I feel about everything and, you know, name all of those things and then explain it in further detail and then do a history of their life and then recap that See, history.
1: I and- think I disagree with you and it's the same way I think I disagree with you when, well, when you said you don't like backstories on reality yeah, shows. That's I'm so like, true. I'm here for it. And I think this is just the 2020 equivalent of a blog um, and I think, you know, maybe the issue is that it is right in everyone's faces. Whereas with a blog, you had to actually log in and like read that thing. Yeah. But you know, I quite like those sort better... of confessional, insightful posts about someone's internal experience. I
0: think that's, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I I think it's just that like, if I was to read an article on a website, sure. Like I'm reading a long piece of content, um, that I chose to click on. Because I've you know going yeah. searching for an article. If I'm Your on Instagram, issue is you did not
1: sign up for this long form.
0: I did not sign up for it. I'm here for the lulls. humans of Melbourne
1: profile. This yeah. person has voluntarily
0: put up about themselves. Exactly involuntary posting and like about just oneself. It just feels very kind of. just so self-indulgy and it feels so performative and I think it feels so performative in um both the positive sense like when people have really happy grateful hashtag grateful posts like they piss me off a lot Mm. um people have negative posts about um feeling emotional or mental health issues or something I respect that they're being open about it Um, But I just feel like it's still also sometimes quite performative and still not necessarily the true experience. I feel like on Instagram, accompanied by a picture and like in amongst all their other posts of all other really fake things, it's just – it. It doesn't feel authentic to me. I'm just, I'm not here for it. If there's something mm. really funny that someone wants to post or like um, they can be like, there's an article that I'm about to write about this. Click here if you'd like to read more, you know, and then mm. I can make a decision to, to read it. But I don't want to see like, and all these little birdies and all the little emoticons that they, emojis that they use in these long form posts. I'm just, I'm so not here for it. Just, yeah, just no, just stop doing it, people. I hate it. I don't know. <laughs> I
1: think I'm not with you on this one I think that it's okay that um you know Instagram is a democratic place that people can have a voice in the media that they wouldn't traditionally be able to have and I think it's nice that people are saying these confessional personal things that aren't usually in the media narrative and you know you can scroll past you can unfollow that's I think you do you post your long form emojis
0: I don't know. I'll read them
1: if Miranda won't.
0: <laughs> but what about? Doesn't it like the thing is? It doesn't feel authentic to me. It feels performative. So that's why. That's why I also don't mm. like it. It's true. It's not like a conversation
1: with your close friends either. It's like no, with and your a, ten thousand
0: followers. And an essay or an article or a blog is actually quite different I feel like the style is different you're writing from a more personal space in a more personal arena Instagram just doesn't feel like the right thing for it but then again it's become a huge trend obviously some people are reading it but also nobody has a blog
1: anymore and as we said in dance reality what people have now is Pinterest or Instagram it is the (laughs) blog of 2020 I guess you've got to manage a whole Pinterest board write all your
0: feelings Yeah, all right. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, babe. I just, yeah, can't stand them. But good for you. I'm happy that you read all of these long-form posts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we don't have to disagree every week. Um, Look, mine this week is one that's really been in the news a lot. So you've probably heard people talking about it. Um, The fact that a gender reveal party caused a huge bushfire in California.
0: Oh, my God. Yes, I heard about that.
1: Yeah. But my hill to die on is that the wildfire is not the issue with gender reveal parties. Okay. And I'll explain. So the fire started when a couple hiked into a national park that had four foot high grass and dry vegetation on a hot day. And then they used a pyrotechnic device (laughs) to try to make colored smoke. Which started a fire that has been burning for weeks and evacuated a large amount of California and people have lost their lives. Yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. It's really bad. It's really bad. Horrible. But the bushfire and their, like, lack of awareness about dry weather and tall grass, that's not why gender reveal parties are the worst. Like, that's not... It's just... That's their bad fire management. And there's been a lot of actually really... Bad incidents that happened at gender reveal parties. Um, another one that happened last year was there was a homemade explosive device that was supposed to spray coloured powder, but instead it blew up like a pipe bomb and it killed a woman who was standing 13 metres away.
0: Oh my when god! When debris struck her in the head. Yeah. Jesus. See, so bad. This is what <laughs> stupid events do to people. <laughs> they cause bushfire. They cause bushfires and they kill you. <laughs> But again, like, I don't think it's the fact it was a gender real party,
1: reveal party that's the problem. The problem is it's you true. made a homemade explosive device and detonated it in front of people. Like, it's that's so the true. That's the problem. The problem is that's that, That's the yeah. problem. And what the real problem with gender reveal parties is, is not the bushfire and the bomb. The problem is it's just super weird to, like... Mm -hmm. reinforce gendered stereotypes and throw a party about your baby's genitals when we know, like, gender is much more than that. And, you know, sex and gender are different things. And even the woman that invented gender rule parties in 2008 has actually said the same thing. She's like, we now know that it's really limiting to people to, like, put them in a box and, like, stop having these parties.
0: Yeah. It's so true. It just seems so old-fashioned and why are people still doing it? I think, yeah, it's just... You know, even we're moving away from buying, you know, pink for and blue for different genders when people have their babies as gifts and things like you kind of, you know, we're trying to neutralize that. Or um, subvert it by the other gender, you know, by the other color. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, yeah, it's just, it's totally outdated. I don't, I don't like the idea of it. I don't know why people still do it. I don't know why it's okay. It just doesn't feel okay to me at <laughs> mm. all. I, <laughs> I mean, the only reason I talk about it is because it's been in the news. I
1: personally think it's quite American and I've never known anyone that I know to ever do a gender reveal party. Have you ever known anyone do one? Um,
0: I've never been to one, Um, but I do know of them. And uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> one of our friends uh, said that... He went to a gender reveal party and he's, you know, from yeah. um, the northern, northern suburbs of <laughs> Melbourne um, and is quite into cars and drag racing. And uh, oh, good. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. So, yeah, quite ochre. And uh, these, um, this gender reveal party that he went to was at the racetrack, the Calder Raceway. And nice. I think it was iconic. It iconic, and um, the gender reveal party was whatever color the smoke emanated from the wheels of oh. the car <laughs> as the car screeched away. As the car screeches away, left. apparently, oh pink, apparently, pink dust came out of the wheels, and everyone was like, "Yeah,
1: <laughs> that is
0: so funny." <laughs> I, I love to say, that, that happened at the colder race. I have to wrap. say if there so was funny, if there was a gender reveal party, I don't think anything could be problematic enough to keep me from that experience. Like I would be yeah. front and center. I would need to be there. <laughs> you know? like, it would just be wonderful. So yeah, that's my only,
1: my oh only my thing to add
0: to that. Um, I don't know anyone, and thank God, who's done a gender reveal party. It's over. That is
1: hilarious. Oh my God, I love that. But I just wanted to get off my chest the fact that gender reveal parties are inherently bad and the wildfire isn't the problem. Because for example, if like a fan of Taylor Swift followers accidentally set a fire, we wouldn't be like banning Taylor Swift. That's right. So we just need to be like, no, the fire management and the homemade explosives are a separate issue to the heteronormative uh, gendered stereotype, strange issue that's also at hand. So
0: I'm just glad we cleared that up. Absolutely. Yep, not nah, awesome hill to die on. And what are we recommending this week? So, my first recommendation
1: this week. You may have heard about it because I feel like a lot of people are talking about it ironically on Facebook, and it is called The Social Dilemma. Oh. Have you heard about this? No. It is a half documentary, half drama hybrid about the dangers of social media. Okay. So it's quite a weird format. And so part of it is just standard documentary talking heads. They interview kind of all the creators of various social media. So for example, they interview the person who created the like button. And oh, he's wow. like, you know, we made the like button cuz we thought it would be just a nice way for people to send like a positive comment, but we never knew that teenagers would be, you know, having huge self-esteem issues if they didn't get enough likes, like we never realized.
0: Yeah. What
1: the perverse impacts of these things were. We really regret it. How
0: interesting. And so it's got
1: yeah, it's really interesting. So it's got interviews like that and then splice throughout it is also this drama of this family trying to grapple with technology and, like, trying not to use their phones for a week and, you know, the kids are really struggling with it. But it's interesting and a lot of people um, I've seen who've watched it um, have said it's really made them sort of rethink their behaviour with technology and social media. So it's interesting. It's definitely interesting.
0: So interesting.
1: Awesome. I think the scariest part about it um, was more about the geopolitical side of it and a really terrifying statistic in it was that fake news spreads faster than real news and that um, opening up to the free market these sort of social media platforms means that they actually have a lot of power to sort of regulate um, basically the political climate and it was showing all of these various like riots and strange sort of things that happened and it sort of goes back to our episode a couple of weeks ago about QAnon as well and how like things like that can thrive and they were sort of saying like we actually need to outlaw some of these social media markets and fake news and she's like that's not radical like we've outlawed industries before we've outlawed child sex trafficking like this is just as harmful in some
0: ways. So, yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. Wow. That sounds fantastic, actually. Mm, yeah. It's on Netflix. I can't wait. Um, well, mine is very different to that. Um, it's a podcast this time. How oh, fun. And um, it's called Nearly Beloved, and it's a sort of reality romance TV recap podcast. So they recap maths, they're recapping The Bachelor, they recap The Bachelor in Paradise. Um, Two Aussie women, uh, you know, victims of the pandemic recording from a distance just like us. It's Um, us, yeah. They're so funny. I just love them so much and um, I even commented on some of their posts and they responded so it really made me feel like, um, you know, like a super fan. And um, they're feminists, they talk about um, the crazy stuff on the Bachelor franchise and um, they totally agree with me about um, that editing, you know, people blaming about bad edit constantly oh. on bad behavior. They agree with me on this and they also, other people who agree with me, um, which isn't my recommendation, but there's another podcast called Life Uncut with two ex-Bachelor contestants, um, Bachelorette contestants or whatever. And um, one of them was on the most recent season of paradise and all that stuff with tim and uh all that stuff with jamie and everything she doesn't say it specifically but she says you can't give me about it because i didn't say anything bad she's like people still have to say bad things um to be portrayed in that way and um you know she was on the show so I think that it's really interesting. Um, one interesting. to um, prove myself right, um, but also very validating. <laughs> it's very, very validating. Funny. But also they're just so funny. Um, they've got obviously a really feminist and critical thinking lens on, so it's kind of um, they basically sound like us. They basically uh, if you us. listen to
1: them. Don't forget
0: about us. Okay? Don't forget about <laughs> us. Yeah, but they're so funny, and yeah, it's just total trash, and um, it's. They're very, very funny women. So give them a go. I
1: love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. They're yeah. our kindred spirits. <laughs> I also have a feel good one as well. Um, So this is a very, very feel good reality TV show Ooh. called Making It. Okay. Have you heard about this? I it's haven't. amazing. What's it? What okay, are they you're going to love it. Making it is a craft-based reality TV show hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman.
0: Yeah. AKA
1: Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. And <gasps> it is amazing. And like Nick Offerman basically is Ron Swanson in terms of building stuff. He's like a but just like the grumpiness. Expert. He's a woodworker. And so he kind of is there with like the craftsmanship lens and Amy Poehler is there just with the hilarious lens. Yeah. And there's about (laughs) five contestants. (laughs) Every week they have to do a new challenge and I actually watched the whole first season. You can watch it on the new streaming service called Binge, which you can get a one-week free trial. I watched it all um, on the weekend last weekend and I watched it while I was crafting. which was like a fun mood I watched it while sewing face masks very 2020 quarantine
0: (laughs) and for me we
1: may need to um post about this on the trash and treasury instagram because I may have made us matching trash and treasury face masks while watching this show you may
0: have and it's adorable (laughs) I may have
1: um because I was so inspired it's just was such a nice show you know we've talked a lot about reality tv this episode and whether they can be nice or not and this one definitely like is just really supportive and just Oh, like, yeah, sounds there's like there's a big it. variety
0: of people yeah it's great vibes it's of great. glow up and um, lego masters and the great british exactly yep. yep, sounds brilliant so keep an eye on our instagram
1: um, for maybe <laughs> a photo of
0: those masks and check out making it on binge amazing well my last recommendation as promised um is going to be some of the best dancers now look it's very hard to slim it down to just three but i'm going to pick my favorite dance pieces that you can watch on YouTube. Um, Well done, babe. We're proud of you that this wasn't a five-hour episode. You've done so well. I've done really well. And look, it's going to really hold me back to only do three. But one of the most um, beautiful pieces of choreography um, was actually an audition piece um, by a woman called Lauren Frodeman, And um, she did At Last by Ella Fitzgerald. And it's just the coolest, slinkiest, most interesting little solo and it's happy and joyful and it's yeah it just it's like it's like melted butter that's how I feel about it um the next one is and I and I re-watch that audition all the time if I just you know I'm on a YouTube hole and um the next one will be Cabaret Hoover by Wade Robson um, which yep. is the one I talked about earlier, the yep. Vagabond Cabaret. And it is very, very, very cool, very edgy and weird. And the soundtrack to that um, movie where they got that music from, The Triplets of Belleville, is fantastic if you ever want to look that up. And, oh, God, okay, my last one. All right. All right. A lot of pressure on, babe. <laughs> so, so much pressure. The last one is definitely the body language piece by Mandy Moore um which is sort of they're wearing suspenders very 80s vibes and it's a queen song and just her choreography is so cool the way she thinks to put their bodies and it's just a really silly fun routine but just just pure excellence just really smart choreography really funny and really hard-hitting and I just absolutely love it and then also after all of those three just watch everything else because it's amazing (laughs) (laughs)
1: watch all 16 seasons but I guess the point is those three are the gateway drug and once you watch them you'll be hooked
0: yeah absolutely oh god it was hard to only do three babe but and look you sent me in private message today
1: about 15 but I might
0: start with those three so you didn't watch any of them is that what you're telling me (laughs) no yes I you weren't saying, "Oh yeah, I remember watching that when we were no, talking about it in our no. segment how rude." Sorry, but look, to be fair, I didn't listen to Taylor's new album, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: so funny. But we're happy for each other, and that's the like, you know, foundation of a supportive friendship. <laughs>
0: <That's> true. <laughs> you do you oh god
1: exactly and we're totally like all about it like <laughs> I'm so glad we did this episode I learned a lot and look you inspired me that this episode is what I needed to take the plunge to now watch those is where I was trying to go with that sentence oh, So well, thank you thank look, you look yes I'm sure we'll have a many a follow-up conversation about that
0: so on next week's episode we'll be talking about the infamous Ruth Bader Ginsburg who tragically died uh late last week and what that means now for the Supreme Court in America and how on earth Donald Trump could be picking yet another person to join that rank. And we'll also be talking about another groundbreaking, infamous thing that's happened recently, which is that Schitt's Creek swept the Emmys. Now, you might re- recall that I recommended this numerous times in season one. I know, I know. It, I called it. you, know, but you like, called I it, I totally called it. And I can't wait to dive into everything <laughs> Schitt's Creek and Grace is 100% converted. <laughs> it's a beautiful show. So until then, we'll see you next week please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts we have done some serious googling and even some serious internet deep dives but we are by no means qualified if you need actual advice please speak to a licensed professional we can even help you google one